0: your unders down your unders review and dissection of content from some of the sharpest minds in the game hosted by adam camilleri art of war down under
1: hello ladies and gentlemen welcome to this very spicy special stats based episode of art of war down under episode 133 if i remember and got my ducks in a row This is going to be a little bit of a different one we haven't got a book to review haven't got a retrospective for you but we have another stats based episode to kind of slide into the regular rotation possibly we'll see how it goes down but i'm joined by two of the unsung heroes of 40k stats center and 40k stats in general um mr clifford thomas or cliff as he prefers to be called and jeremy atkinson welcome to the show boys good to be here thanks adam what's up
2: down under crew
1: (laughs) yeah uh so we have a stats episode we do, I do like, you know, quarterly pretty much with Peter the Falcon, where he gives me his best and brightest, but the stats game is changing, is evolving, and this, I, I, more than anything, I wanted to just shine a very, as bright a light as possibly can on people who are doing some awesome work pushing endgame forward. On the information front, on the data front, informing people and p- helping people keep up with the meta and stay informed, which is what I like to do on my show as well. So I felt like this was a natural get together. And also, you are two of the the beautiful brains of the operation, but not so much the voices. You know, that's that's uh, much more Innes and and um, Stats Dad and Tony V. But tell me, whichever one
0: of whoever wants to field it, what is Stats Check and why should people care? I'm going to take. I'm going to let Cliff take this one because he is the. Uh the more eloquent when it comes to describing what it is that we do. <laughs>
2: um, so Stat Check, statcheck.com uh is a website, content creation resource, data analysis resource, um, collection of things for Warhammer 40k players uh, who want to be competitively successful. Um, and really our primary focus is like make life easier for players before they hit the ticket. And we do that by providing them with really accurate, clean data analysis about the state of the game at any given time, um, the state of their faction at any given time, uh, and what their odds look like into the rest of the meta. Um, and that goes for, you know, highly competitive players like Jeremy. Uh, he's too humble to admit it, but like <laughs> he's you know, obviously like a 95th percentile plus player. People like Ennis, people like Anthony. Um, where we're getting like really high-level analysis about the game, faction, gameplay, phase by phase, interaction, stuff like that, uh, all the way down to like you know, dad hammer players like me who like maybe get a game in once a month, but also like want to be good mm. um, when they do get the chance to hit the table uh, and yeah. not get caught out. So know, it's it's really
1: about people wanting to be informed about the game that they play to, and, and get it from the the best in the biz. Exactly. Yeah, it's a it's really an, uh, exciting initiative as well. There's a couple of things you guys do differently to others, but first I'll tell you guys a little bit about what Art of War Down Under is. Should you be joining us for the first time, this is a two-part podcast. First part comes out Tuesday mornings, second part comes about at the same time, but only made available and only can be found over on Patreon now. You cannot get the second part of this podcast anywhere else, and I'm going to keep having to say this for a couple of months because I keep getting emails like, Adam, where's the other half of the podcast? I'm signed up to this, this, this. Um, <laughs> Patreon, Art of War Down Under, that is the only place to get part two. Part two here is me going to be shooting the shit with these two lads talking about the future of stats, talking about the direction of the game, what we love about it, what we hate about it, etc, etc, and uh, talking about what the, hopefully the future of a stats driven information feed will do for competitive 40k and possibly many other games in the future. Where can people find your stuff, guys? I know Cliff just said it but please uh, reiterate, what is and where can people find Stats Check, Stats
0: Center? Sorry.
1: Stats Check. I'm going to say that too many times on this show. Stats, <laughs> stats check. It's all good. Sorry, we're, we're we are flattered
0: to be confused with stat center we we are we are very much in the shadow of uh of them uh and the work that they did to kind of kick all this off but yeah so uh listeners can find the uh the website that we're going to be talking about in length uh at stat-check.com uh you can find the podcast that and actually we have like three shows on the podcast now um but you can find them wherever uh on any of your podcast feeds under StatCheck, uh, and if you want to watch any of our shows live, you can check them out at youtube.com/slash StatCheck.
1: Beautiful. Uh, all right, so Jeremy,
0: why should people care about what you're doing? <laughs> I mean, if you're a competitive player, the last thing you want to do is walk is uh, put together a list, walk up to the table uh, and then realize that you have no chance of going any better than two and four because you didn't look at what was dominant in the meta.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, And how do you guys, uh, how do people engage with your content to learn that? Like, is this all synced up together in some
0: beautiful fashion or something? Very leading question. (laughs) <laughs> yes, very leading question. Uh, Cliff is the genius behind uh, what we're calling the metadata dashboard. Uh, so, this started up about 10 months ago, I think now. Uh, I had been collecting stats for uh, our precursor podcast, um, and uh, we wanted to basically find a way of presenting all of this data to the community at large, uh, but do it in an innovative and kind of visually pleasing way. And so Cliff took it, took it upon himself to put everything into uh, what's known as Tableau, uh, which is a data visualization tool uh, and has created this very beautiful uh, set of imagery that allows you to look at not only what is, being, what is doing well in the meta, but also what is being played frequently in the meta. Yeah. So the main screen, when you, look, when you first load into it, um, is uh, a page that shows you the faction win rates against the number of games played. So you can look and see, yep. okay, yeah, Harlequins are winning 60% of their games, but they're playing, like, 100 mm. games a week. Okay. Or so I, I,
1: I've looked at the meta dashboard, you know, probably 100 times. I'm pretty familiar with it, engaged with it. We're going to spend 5 to 10 minutes, or as long it takes, giving people the TLDR of how to navigate this, how to get the most out of it, and how to learn what they need to learn. Cliff, I, I'm, so I'm jumping on this page for the very first time. I've literally just loaded it up. It can seem a little daunting. There are a lot of boxes. There are a lot of numbers <laughs> and things and bits and stuffs. There are, there are a lot
2: of boxes uh, and a lot of filters. So I think if you jump in, um, I'll take this as a perspective of someone that just went to LVO, like his first yeah. like my first bigger-than-an-RTT event ever. Um, so let's say I'm going to LVO, and I'm preparing, and I'm bringing Imperial Knights. So what I wanna do is figure out what was the meta that LBO used? And that meta was Nephilim 1.2, the Q3 data slate, because it didn't include time at all, and it didn't use the new points. So, so I click yeah. that, I know no, that's the meta we're in, and that's on the meta filter, yep. on the very first tab in the metadata overview tab. So I click that after eliminating all the rest of the options, and now I have an idea of like, okay, cool. This is what is popular on this left-hand screen. Uh, the icons represent the factions. The farther mm-hmm. to the right a faction is, the more games have been played with it and the more popular it is. Yep. The higher up on the vertical axis it is, the more uh, wins it is accruing over time. Uh, and the sub-faction win rates in games played uh, and faction versus faction win rate uh, tree maps on the right side become more interesting when mm. you click on a faction. So, again, I'm Imperial Knights. I click on the Imperial Knights uh, little, like, head logo and that then produces a breakdown of the outcomes I can expect against every other faction in the game. So I'm playing Imperial Knights in the Nephilim 1.2, th- 1.2 meta using the Q3 data slate. Mm-hmm. I see that Freeblade lances have a 53% overall win rate. I see that House Seranus has a 45%. I see that House Ravens got a 44%, yep. uh, et etc. Cetera, et cetera. And then I see faction versus faction, my expected uh, win rate against all the other factions in the game. So Uh, Red, red is bad. Blue is good. Yeah, tells you what it looks
1: like. And this is a really big deal. The the faction versus faction stuff is one of the things I think of. I want to know that even as a you know uh, whatever percentile player myself playing with WTC and all these things, I want to know when I when I'm considering playing a faction, I want to know what they're bad against right now. I don't necessarily want to know what they're good against. I want to know what they're bad against because that's the stuff I want to tech for, be aware of, find solutions to. And this is a great way of just one page staring at it and being able to go hey this is what i need to work on this is what i need reps into i freaking just as that just that's very surface level stuff for what we're what you're able to produce here but man like it is a phenomenal thing you have created so keep going
2: all right so like that gives you the basic rundown there's more in there but we're going to leave it for now uh the the quick rundown on the filters up here we use something called player gt plus experience as a series of options that means how many times in our data set Ah, uh, you have attended an event that is at least 25 players large and ran for at least five rounds. Yeah. So in our categories, newcomers are people that have only been one. Experienced players have been to two to three, and veteran players have been to at least four of those events over the last year. Um, and if you you can pick one of those depending on your current level of experience, it'll drill down to give you outcomes for people with mm. the same level of experience. Uh, so. And that goes for players and opponents. You can do all the permutations of like Imperial Knights players who are veterans playing into yep. uh, custodians players who are newcomers to the game. What are my chances
1: in that? That's it. See, that's a really huge distinction that you guys have made, which is quite different to a lot of others' um, stats-based innovations. How have you guys come to that conclusion upon the, um, the beginner versus veteran stuff? Like, what, how, do you, how do you judge that and uh, kind of silo people in that regard?
2: Well we Jeremy, you can like jump in here as well because I think we did a lot of talking behind the scenes about like how to break out those designations. Um, it really came down to realizing that folks who had attended at least four events had roughly similar aggregate win rates between like four and like 17. Uh, yep. and the, yeah, there are some people out there that are hitting like 16, 17 uh, events in the last year. Um Maniacs. And so that that appeared to be the cutoff for like a pretty marked jumped in performance Mm -hmm. uh, across the board for all factions. So, go
0: Jeremy. That was exactly what we did. So, it started earlier on uh, when we were about six months into collecting data. So, this would have been probably about August of last year, where we wanted to really start distinguishing people who played in the occasional GT or, you know, not on a regular basis. Uh, From those that were grinding out every single GT that they could possibly go to, traveling all over the world, um, hitting up, you know, 8, 10, 12 events, and finding that break point from, okay, where is, you know, you have the person who has gone to one event in the last six months. And then you compare them to someone who has gone to two to three, and then someone who's gone to four or more. Hmm. And we found that there were three very distinct groupings of people in terms of overall performance. Uh, now that we've been collecting data for a full 12 months, we're probably we might we might edit that a little bit and might look at how many in the last year you've been to. because mm-hmm. uh, you know, eventually as we as as the data grows, it'll be, oh, you have you now have six entries in our data set, but four were last year, two are this year. Yeah. You're not going to that many, but you are going to more than the average player. Like what we found over the last year is um so I'd realized we actually didn't say this at the beginning, uh, but we only track uh, GT plus events, what we consider yep. to be an yep. event with five or more rounds and twenty five or more players.
1: I, I, I mean, you have to cut off somewhere, otherwise
0: you just.
2: I mean, I'm assuming you both had day jobs, gentlemen. Yes, <laughs> yeah, Yeah. <laughs> specifically Jeremy. Jeremy's got a day job, and as the sole like incredible collector and cleaner of this data, um, it would be insane to attempt it. I mean, we'd love to but it would be insane to try to capture every single... Yeah, yeah,
1: gents. Uh, Patreon, stats check, go check it out. (laughs) 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 Uh, But uh, some of this stuff is just really, really exciting. Like, I... I'm hoping Stats Check gets to a level where like, new people coming to the game want to be informed when they step in, because I can think of nothing better than someone brand new to the game, or me, I've got a mate who hasn't played in, in like five years, jumping him down, sitting in front, him, and just turning on the, the, the win rates, veteran to newcomer, and letting him check what are like, literally, literally data-based, easy-to-start competitive armies, because you can literally just look at it like that, oh, I want to start a new army, what's easy to pick up competitively, and you just go and see what's getting a good win rate for newcomers. Yep. Like, yes, as simple exactly. as that. It's like, it's such a beautiful, it's funny how it's messy, but clean. <laughs> it's, messy right. to, it's messy to look at, but the data is very clean. Like it just gives you, there's no BS percentiles and carry the ones and all this crap. It's just, <laughs> this is what it is. And it's just here if you know how to get it. Yep.
3: Yeah. No, yeah. And it's,
0: it's wonderful. Yeah. Cause one of the things that we want, that we also want to do with this is to communicate the state of the meta to more experienced players as well in that you know we we often talk a lot around gw just published their most recent meta watch video yep. uh, and they talk about their goldilocks zone of 45 to 55 when you look at the meta dashboard we have that band in there mm-hmm. and when you look at where each of the metas Kind of settled down into. So, if you look at the end of Nakhman, if you look at the end of Nephilim, you can kind of get an idea of where GW is going with balance approaches. Mm. Because yeah. Nakhman was wild. It,
1: it, it was. Yeah, yeah. was out of control. Was it the most unbalanced portion of Ninth Edition so far? Was it the Nakhman season?
0: Or- it's hard to tell because we only started collecting data in uh, Nakhman. Chop, chop, boys, get it together! Like, where were you? <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> um, well, Peter the Falcon, he was doing a lot of really great work before that. So there wasn't really a void to, to fill. And then he needed to take a break and we stepped up a few months later. So there was just yeah, that gap. Absolutely. But you compare that to Nephilim and things look a lot tighter. Things look a lot, well, a lot things, more condensed.
1: Things are looking reasonably tight at the moment when we're going to discuss the current meta as well and get your thoughts later in the episode. Um, so we've discussed a couple of things that you guys do that is different and
0: new. Why are you guys passionate about this? Why do you care?
2: Jeremy, you can go first.
0: Yeah, sure. Um, I'll, I'll be quite honest. I have ADHD, and this is my hyperfixation.
2: Hell
0: yeah, um, brother. <laughs> We're in. Let's go. <laughs> so the joke is it's been going for a year. We'll see if it keeps going for another year. Um, but no, um, so this actually uh, derived itself from, so I'm, um, I'm, I work with uh, the WTC team for Team Canada. Yep. Um, and it started with me wanting to have a good set of data for us to do pairing predictions with. Mm. Or to at the very least inform pairing predictions when players aren't familiar with a matchup. So this data collection was 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 kind of born out of that. Um, at first it was I was helping out uh, a couple friends, uh, yep. Cliff, Nathan, and Anthony on Fight Club on the Best Tabletop Network, uh, and then it evolved into Hey, this is actually really useful for WTC. Mm. And then as time went on, I eventually was selected to be the coach for Team Canada for 2022. Congratulations and put all of that data into into our into our pairing setups and it was like here's where we can go and here's you know some people are a little out to lunch let's 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 bring their pairings more in line with what the the general performance is looking like uh and so that really did help inform us and you know led canada to its best finish that we've ever had we finished ninth at the last Mm -hmm. wtc
1: dude Um, congratulations and you know i can expect the envelope to be pushed again
0: uh in the coming 12 months which is exciting which is our goal. And so I, I, I'm i coaching the team once again this year, and it's it's very much motivated from the same perspective. I want I want this data to be out there. I want people to be making informed decisions about what armies they're running, mm-hmm. what they can expect to do at events. But I also want teams to be better informed uh, when it comes to doing their pairings and building their armies out. Now, there's uncertainty about what this WTC is gonna look like, so it might not end up being use, used, but last year we had a good two months of Nephilim data going into the WTC.
1: Yes, which was a huge deal um, having that much, and of course, Jeremy's referring to the fact that WTC has been all but confirmed to be playing the new edition if it is out. So, if the edition is out, they're going to play it, and so a lot of the data is going to be. It's a bit of a. It's going to be a bit of a mad scramble, which we'll probably be covering a lot of that scramble on this on this show. Um, <laughs> Cliff, where does your passion lie for this, and how did you get into this gig? Yeah,
2: so my I'm, mine's sort of like twofold. Like I default to. Anything that I'm passionately involved in, I want to be a part of improving for the better, mm-hmm. yep. uh, like my day job is like policy and legislative advocacy, so I'm big into like systems improvement for the good of all and it was pretty clear early on when I reentered forty k in eighth edition, it was like, man, there's like a big time hot take culture um, mm-hmm. that that is missing a lot of nuance that really should be here in the form of data, and like I think that you know the falcon <clears throat> in Val. Through 40k stat center, like really delivered the goods there and started that off. And then when, when that when 40k stat centers were sort of, like suspended, it was like, oh man, like we're missing the facts. It's all hot mm. takes again. Mm-hmm. This is rough. Um, and then you know, like connected with the crew, Jeremy, Nathan, Anthony it is um behind the scenes through our first podcast iteration and like saw a gap. I also like am obsessed with data visualization and making information accessible. Um awesome. because I ultimately want like fewer games of 40k i wanted fewer games of 40k to be lost before gameplay actually begins that's right. that's so a like, right initiative right there i, I just that. i just want people to be able to play the game and like win or lose based on how they played the game and less so based on like what faction they took what list they built what their interaction was what table they were on like what their level of experience but like all of that stuff i just want the gameplay to really play out no. um, and the easier the more accessible that we can make performance data available for all the factions, I think the easier we make it on players. Um, one added benefit, I think, of that is that we also hope, which may be the case based on the latest uh video and the, like, wink slash um, nod allusion to some of the statistical filters we use, we also hope that, like, this information is really valuable to Games Workshop and their design team behind the scenes we are able to look at, like, the most competitive uh, events and get a view of, like, what... Really competitive players are yeah. doing what the yeah. meta meta looks like for that.
1: Well, let's talk about that for a moment because the latest um, Meta Watch article did come out, and we know GW exclusively uses win rates. Uh, we're going to unpack that a little bit more in part two uh, because I think I have a couple of Patreon questions to that end. Um, but tell me about the pros and cons of of using that data set of just using win rates.
2: Oh man, um, <laughs> so we, it's odd because win rates are so prominent in our data. Mm-hmm. Uh, a single win in Warhammer 40k contains a lot of information that we can't display because we don't have access to it at scale, right? Like, what terrain style did you play on? Yeah. the so, tournament back? What was the mission? What was the what secondaries? Units were, Who yeah, first? what secondaries were yeah. chosen? Units were chosen? Um, what was the level of skill between those two players? What's their familiarity with each other's rules, let alone their own? There's, like, all of that contained in it. Um, so we we assume that in a large enough data set, a bunch of that stuff sort of washes out to be roughly equivalent with a large enough aggregation. Uh, the problem is that, like smaller sample sizes, like if you're looking at like 30 games, hmm. a win rate's not really a reliable indicator of what a faction's given level of performance is at that time. If yep. you're looking at like 300 plus games, I think you can much more confidently talk about a faction, what its problems are, what its potential problems are, what its mashups look like, etc. But yeah, it's just it's really hard to get into any really specific level of nuance using win rates alone. But they do have really good good aggregated information about the game at high enough scale. Jeremy, what are your thoughts?
0: So I I agree with that. Win rates tell one part of the story, and it's it's a part that gets a lot of focus. People really will look at oh my my faction has a forty one percent win rate. It's not very good. Uh, one of the things that we talk about on the show and something that we've been <laughs> kind of reticent, but we need to add to our visualizations at some point. Is things like overrepresentation and placings. Yeah. So the the present the 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 principle behind overrepresentation is if you have ten percent of the marine meta, they should make up ten percent of your podium finishes. If they're making up twenty percent of your podium finishes, something's off. Yeah. And that usually correlates fairly well with win rates, but there have been times when it's been divorced. Like a really good example of that was during Nephilim. Custodes were maintaining a very consistent 49 to 51% win rate through that entire season. But could not win events. But they won, I think, one event, Big, yeah. all Nephilim? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, they, and if you looked at their overrep, which was a measure, a ratio of their matter representation to their podiums or their top fours, um, they were below one, which means that they were underrepresented at the podium level. That's a great thing to know. Um, Sorry, continue. Yeah, and kind of conversely, you have things like uh, Harlequins, where for all of Nephilim, they were consistently in the 60% win rate, um, and they were finishing in top fours, but they weren't necessarily winning events. And one of the things that we saw behind that was because they lost hard to things like Tyranids. Yes, and in addition, there was like six people playing them (laughs) correct so you had very few of them and they would get gate kept on that round five or round six of an event and be like well i guess i'm finishing fourth but see that's that's phenomenal information
1: to have so you know you have a super jacked awesome um awesomely powerful and strong player base with a great faction who's just Mm -hmm. has a freaking ceiling um as long as this other player maintains their position and hopefully that can be information that could be interpreted you know by the powers that be to hit things appropriately you know like (laughs) yeah because like you look at the win rate for harlequins and you'd be like this is a busted faction but if you look at the the, what that translates to that translates to them being fundamentally unable to win a major because of the over over representation of nits at the time correct Correct. yeah so what would that what would that if if you were to take that train of thought then if you were g-dub how would you balance that would you hit harlequins too uh, and how, and what, what changes would you have made? I think that's an interesting discussion.
2: Ooh. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, yeah, we spent a lot of time ranting about this in the background. Jeremy, I, you can start. I, I know. I think
0: it. I was privy to some of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, what, would, what changes would I have made? So that's the interesting thing is that like both Harlequins and Tyranids were hovering, for Nephilim, were hovering around that 60% win rate mm. position. Uh, but Tyranids were converting a lot more into wins than Harlequins were. So Harlequins were overrepresented in the top fours, but they weren't overrepresented as much in event wins, whereas Tyranids were overrepresented in both. And so, like I said, that trend that, that was largely correlated by the fact that Tyranids just had a pretty good matchup into Harlequins. Um, when it comes to what changes it would have made, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the data right now that we have for Omen so far. Mm. <clears throat> and I don't necessarily disagree with the changes that they did to Harlequins based on the early results that we're seeing. Mm. Right. I do disagree with the changes that they made to Tyranids based on the results that we see. <laughs> well, they've been abandoned, so they have. Been, it was, it but they're still being played at twice the rate, or almost three times the rate of Harlequins, which is not hard to. That's just like,
1: I mean, yeah, that is, Harlequins that are, a, are like three percent of the meta, that, but in reality, that's like twelve <laughs> dudes playing a faction rather yeah. than six. <laughs> but you know, I get what you mean. Like the the, the data set's so much more um, robust. For, for Tyranus, so you can make a much more accurate decisions. I do fundamentally think Tyranus got overhandled, um, but J-Dub was at a loss. Like They had tried to... Like, they had done multiple <coughs> changes. They had tried to inch-grab and like balance them adequately, along the same lines they had many other pa- powerful factions. Um, possibly only custodies, I would have said, copped a...
2: a harder one-time nerf?
1: Uh, yeah. yeah, a one-time hit, because there was no small management of custodies to try and bring them down. They were literally just baby with the bathwater at, out the 10th story window. It was like, take away everything that was good for them at the time. Um, <laughs> yeah. they really tried to manage them for like six to nine months. They really tried Then mm-hmm. they just decided to take him out the back of the shed. But, um, this current data set you have, let's talk about it. How many games do you guys have logged for, for arcs at the moment?
0: Uh, for arcs, give me one second. Hey, it's oh, actually okay. a little bit. Oh, do you have the total still in there? No, you don't have the total in the, in there. um, one of the challenges with me yeah you have you have the total so you can give it one of my challenges is that in my data set it's split between two files because some arcs events were starting to be played before lvo yep and i i like having a a closure to a season and to a data file uh, because if not they get really unwieldy towards december january of this past year our excel file would crash each other's computers (laughs) Uh, so i've reset it so for for the last two weeks which has been since LVO essentially. Uh I've got oh, I think it's like two thousand games.
2: Not yeah. bad. Not bad at all. And for the for the purposes of the dashboard, we count each game, like each individual game of 40k as two players playing a game. So it's like two instances of a yeah. game played. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: so I have I have thirty six hundred entries in here. Yeah. Uh, but that's that's eighteen hundred actual games being played. Yeah. Right right and there were a few
2: there were a few arts games played before lvo by some random uh events that chose to adapt the arts rules for that some sort of the other stuff and that's got like 60 yeah, one of those games
0: one of those random events being uprising yeah. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Hey. I, it just happened yeah that, i was there <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, and yes um i had the same opinion i was just like why why are we doing this oh yeah, yeah. anyway um so what are your impressions of the current game at the moment? Let's get your, your, your boys' insights. Um,
2: th- it's interesting because we had, when arcs came out, Ennis, uh, Jeremy, and I did a little pre- sort of like preview reaction to what we thought was happening, our impression of the rules. And we had some like decent predictions at the time uh, where we thought that Gene Silver called in good hands was going to be all right. Dark Angels looked strong immediately. Iron yep. Hands looked strong immediately. Demons looked to continue to be strong immediately. Um, and then we had two sort of like misses. Um, really three if you count the potential for gray knights. Uh, we thought that Astra Militarum was going to do a lot better out the gate. Mm. I think that might be explained by the lack of models in hands because we know a lot of events were not allowing proxies at the time and some of the most powerful stuff just wasn't well, able to Well, yeah, yet. yeah, Lord Solar and you know, possibly yeah. the Bombas, possibly creed possibly the Dawns. I get it. Yeah, just hadn't dropped yet. And I think because we missed custodies a bit. Um, because I don't think we'd fully internalize, like, oh yeah, they really, they essentially completely unnerved the strat access. Yes, yeah. it's, uh,
1: it's almost it's almost just straight back to the book. Like nothing yeah, has changed yeah. in the book, Maybe just the points. Uh, and then Green
2: Knight's scoring potential is just
1: like yeah, that's so. There are some really interesting things you pointed out there. So looking at the meta dashboard right now, Custodies over and above, they seem to there are what overrepresented games played. Like they are the next highest yeah, is Asheriani. And they've got over a hundred games more played than a Siriani. like it is it is kind of buck wild to be that far ahead that that you know um short of time into the season
0: yeah we've seen uh, I think it's close to a fifty or sixty percent explosion in custody's representation. they were making up depending on the week anywhere from four to six percent of the meta, like custody diehards are hard to get rid of, uh, but as soon as those nerfs were re- reversed, people were like. And especially on the back of Leon Hackett's success at uprising Adelaide, a lot of custodies came out of the woodwork. Mm. Uh, people were brushing off that gold that they were playing a year ago <laughs> and were like hey this is, this is pretty amazing again let's play this back in uh, business interestingly enough, they're suffering from the same thing that they were suffering benephilim they the last two weeks they had a fifty three percent win rate, but they've only managed two top fours and one event win it's actually wild to think that isn't
1: it I, I mean i look at some of the um some of the possible builds you can have for custodies and they're terrifying i mean i was going to play uh a list uh, at a stuttle scrub that had triple caladius triple units of venetari and i was like i think i'm dead if i don't if i a second i think i'm just dead like <laughs> screw um <laughs> yeah and that's just one of the you know you can still play the wardens you can still play hell you can play shadow keeps you can play solo watch you can play um emperor's chosen it really just depends like there's a lot more variety now but what is the ceiling on them what's holding them down
0: what's kicking their ass that's a good question. So turn to the metadata dashboard. That will tell us. If you look at Custodes, what are their bad matchups? Uh, Astrom Mill is the
1: top top of the pile, yeah. They've got 39 games played into Astra Mill Time and only a 41% win rate into
0: them. Yep. yep. And That's similarly, Craft Worlds, Imperial yep. Knights, and Tau, all of which are strong gunline armies mm. along with Astrom Militarum, and they're all hovering around that 40% win rate for those four matchups. And those four armies. Are starting to become very common or have always been fairly common in the meta.
1: Yes. There's also a couple of other ones down the pile a bit further. The two big ones for me, I think, are the fact that they have bad matchups into both Iron Hands and uh, Dark Angels. Funnily enough, the, yes. Dark, Angels, the Dark Angels one is, is an interesting one because I thought the turning. You, before you, uh, you saw the games played, I have played into Custodians a couple of times now with my Dark Angels. I thought it was going to be a bad matchup for me. Not having the rerolls, not having the thing. But the fact is. Um, I am well. Raven Wing, especially, is just so much faster than them. Yep. They can't catch you with their melee stuff. And then if you play Death Wing, well, you can just walk at them. They ain't gonna
0: hurt you. Correct. And I, I've experienced the same thing. Um, I was tacking heavily for custodies leading into Stutter Snotling. Mm-hmm. Um, because I knew that there was going to be a fair amount of them. I didn't realize there's going to be how many there was. Gonna. I think there <laughs> yeah. were 15, fifteen of them out of 128 <laughs> players. It was mm. insane. Um, but, like, a, a good example of that is Dark Angels have the tools to deal with custodes because if you're playing Ravenwing, as you mentioned, you have that speed so you can crack out that tape measure and sit 18 inches away from them all game long. Yep, yep. Or in the event that you're playing against uh, the Solar Watch build, you sit 23 inches away from them and say, I'm going to shoot at you all game.
1: Yep. And arguably, you've got better secondaries as well. So that is a good <coughs> sort of thing. Um, but, the, I mean, the Iron Hands one actually just gets worse. <laughs> <laughs> it's just worse yeah. again. Yeah, because uh, yeah. But anyway, um, so that's just one example, guys, of, of, uh, of people at home of how you can you can wield this to find out what what is the ceiling on your own faction, and exactly what I said before, what you need to find an answer for. So if I was looking at this and saying, "Well, I'm just losing to shooting armies," I have to then I then I go and see what's being played, and the majority is still Emperor's Chosen um shadow keepers is uh 54 win rate 82 games played and then we have solar watch at 66 with 60 only 62 games played though and of course liam hackett literally just putting that whole archetype on his shoulders um but in saying that how would you in, how would you inform your decisions about what to play if you were custodians seeing um what you're losing
0: against so we have only like i said a few weeks of data i think it's like 12 arcs events events that we've done so far and i said you know in the last two weeks about 1800 games um it's still early to really make conclusions and to draw off this, but if we were to look at this, my instinct would be: I'm much better off playing the Liam Hackett Solar Watch or some variant of it than the more traditional Emperor's Chosen Triple Bike Triple um, Venetari list. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yep, yeah, perfect. That's exactly that's exactly what I was asking: how to interpret and put it into practice, because that's kind of the the next uh talking point but before we get there um cliff what are your impressions of the current meta and how how do you how do you think and how healthy the game is at the moment
2: so i tend to take a look at the uh, there's another tab on the dashboard called faction win rate trends so yep this uses that same 45 to 55 uh bubble with the 40 to 45 55 to 60 like danger zones um uh, in this orange color and so if you look at this and like click all in the meta this gives you a good idea of just, like, how performance has changed over time for every single faction in the game. Um, and you can see, one, you can see in past history how Bananas, uh, cassodies, Tau, Harlequins, Tyranids have been at various points in time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the other thing that you can see is, like, a sort of narrowing in to the middle uh, that really started with Nephilim and has only, like, accelerated uh, yeah. in art so far. So thus far, I, I, it appears on paper that the state of the game is in a pretty good place with respect to balance. However, my concern is that what we're seeing in ARCs is a balance that is more indicative of like a more coin-flippy type of, type mm-hmm. of game mm-hmm. uh, than a necessarily balanced faction versus faction state of affairs.
1: I would, I would agree with that. I think there is a lot to be said for the power of going first again. Which yep. is kind of kinda of terrifying. Actually, is that something you guys don't you guys don't track uh, so many game stats, you track more the, the faction the win rates, yeah? Yeah, I
2: mean oh man, I wish I wish we had access to that for all the games we have, but we do not.
1: Fair enough. I mean very hard to have it all, hopefully one day though. Um, but if you were to anecdotally <laughs> speak to it, uh, what do you think why do you think it's so coin flippy? <laughs>
2: um Jeremy you've got the most recent actual big event experience with this you should talk. About. <laughs> uh cuz I I
0: I've been playing into that. And I've been playing uh, like I've been playing the Ravenwing heavy dark angel style of play with a with a terminator brick. Um, and it very much felt like in a lot of games if I went second, I was very quickly on the back foot. Mm. Um, because as we're looking at like what's being played right now, it's a lot of heavy gunline armies. Yeah. And even with good terrain, like the trade at Stutter Stuntling was a little lighter than what I'm used to, but was still really good terrain, mm-hmm. um, it was still possible to, to look and be like, I'm going second into guard. i am got a clench because you know I, I played my round four into guard, I believe it was, uh, and I went second. I lost three speeders and five attack bikes. Even though Yucks. I had hit as much as i could but he was just like i could move 10 inches get the angles that i want and Mm -hmm. i'm just gonna light you up and i was like all right this is terrifying uh same thing my round five which i which was my 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 one loss of the event was uh into into tau i went second and again hit as best i could still lost a whole bunch um and then on my turn two i lost the coin on my turn one i lost the coin flip in terms of i just bounced um, my dice were slightly above, below average. His dice were slightly above yep. average. Yep. Uh, and then on his turn, his the, the, the same thing happened again, and I was ta- I was practically tabled at that point. So it it feels very much like the lethality of the game um, has not gotten any better, but the durability has gone down.
1: Yeah. It, it really you've, did. You guys really notice it—the change from eighth edition to ninth edition—that it felt like just any good unit in the game could remove almost any other any one other unit in the game. Like where very much a million, so. it, it almost feels like no matter what it's just this one picks up this one, check check is almost like oh cool, I jumped over you e.g. a ah, la, I was in range with my gun or in charge range, cool, your unit is now gone um it really the arcs of omen so um armor attempt was the the only time in this edition I felt like apart from the very start actually, where it felt like durability was anywhere near matching lethality um at the start, we had you know the um the twenty men um. Necron Bricks and we had Death Guard and Dark Angels were really prevalent for about, you know, three to six months before everything just went off the, the total deep end. Um, With Drakari. Uh, output wise, exactly right. And you had like friggin' five, you know, sorry, 10 witches, 10 just basic witches would just go in and half kill a Deathwing squad. Um, but uh, in saying that, what's, what is there any meaningful balance that can be done at this point? Or are we just riding this wave until the end of
0: the edition? There is something to be said. For artificial balance being created by it just being a coin flip meta. Yep. Um, tracking when tracking go first rates helps with that. Can help you know put a put a site into all right. If I go first, I have an eighty percent win rate. If I go second, I have a forty percent win rate. Yep. Like yes, that averages out to a sixty percent win rate. But is that real? Well, so in theory, I suppose I'll, Cliff can probably answer
1: this one if you because I just haven't heard from you in a hot minute, but. Uh, <laughs> This was supposed to be balanced in Arx of Omen by having free reserves. That's legitimately when I looked at it, I'm like, okay, cool. They're taking away durability, but let me put the stuff in reserve for free. Why is that not helping this coin flippiness?
2: Well, I think because choosing which units put in strategic reserve and then having a plan for what it does when it comes in is actually like a more sophisticated decision. Than one might think Mm -hmm. Uh, because it involves like that, that affects what unit choices you're making, what they're equipped with, um, how you're deploying from the get go to make sure that you've got the ability to combine fire from what you're throwing, throwing in from reserves and what you've already got on the table. So in theory with like a practice player, yeah, I think it's really advantageous and helps to offset some of the alpha strike capability from your opponent. Mm -hmm. However, uh, in practice, like we're not all such sophisticated thinkers about the game. and like a lot of times you might just end up putting yourself out of position in exchange for like a single unit target or you know, otherwise miscalculating where a given unit needs to be on the table when it comes in from reserve. So uh, oh. I, I see the intent, but like the practical outcome is, is a little
1: more, a little more challenging. Well, cool. Spot on. The, the practical outcome is if if you split your army, you've split your army. And <laughs> that <laughs> just means there's a lot less army for them to have to worry about for possibly two turns if they go first. Right. Um, and so, you know, you just get pressured, you get marginalized, you get pushed into a corner. <clears throat> Yeah, so much easier to nuke primary, and by nuke primary, I mean denying primary. And and it's still if you are if you are walking on a table edge, your opponent still gets a lot of control about whether you're able to show up, which is
0: kind of Correct. terrifying. Um, right.
1: Anything to add on that point, Jeremy?
0: Yeah. So the other thing to consider is that it also allows the killiest units in the game that may not be necessarily very durable to hide to hmm. to basically say, look, I'm going to start two units of devastators and two units for eradicators off the board. <laughs> yep. You now have to screen them, and they have a 24-inch range when they come on the table. You now have to screen and consider all of those possible angles that they're going to come in from on my turn, too. Mm-hmm. And if I went first, I have the advantage of you have one turn to block me.
1: Well, this is what I was about to say. The The other side of this argument is people thinking, oh, cool, I can be so from Alpha Strikes. But if you go first, your Beta Strike just got so much better, yeah. because there's yep. no way your 6-inch moving, 5-inch moving, Eradicator's devs, other a la equivalent units, were going to make it to a premium angle in one turn right. but then turn two they just rock up looking at your opponent's best stuff annihilate mm-hmm. them so i actually think it is more of a boon to go first with stuff in reserve and this is where we come to of this discussion um where i think what gw tried to do 100 um is not the reality that I, they actually back, backfired a bit 100 uh, backfired because because of the how cheap they made some of the alpha striker units to be like, well, I could just chuck, I could just chuck Ironhand, three ints of Ironhand, Devastators, Eradicators, whatever in reserve. It's you're going to lose the game trying to stop me using them, or you're going to lose the game because I, I use them. It's pretty much yep. you're kind of screwed, and that's that's actually what I think it's putting on its opponents. It's it's guaranteeing a beta strike, um, and I, I just really wanted to make that point for people. Um, so the big thing that we've lost from the meta has been flyers, boys. Have you guys got any ideas about anybody still taking flyers? I just wanted to make, put, that, put that information out there.
2: <laughs> I've seen it. So in the uh, StatCheck Discord, uh, patreon.com slash StatCheck, if you hit up the Necron chat, there are a few people experimenting with night sides and having like non meme success with it, which is interesting to me. Uh, but that's, that's really all I've heard on the flyer front or all I've seen on the flyer front in any real competitive sense.
0: Yeah, because the the flyers, if we talk about the flyers that were prominent prominent during Nephilim, it was Harpies and it was um, the Tau ones, the Sunshark bombers. Sunsharks, yeah. Uh, and both of those benefited from the fact that they were very mobile, not the most durable, but were able to get good angles. They had mm-hmm. strong shooting and they also had bombs. Yeah. Now with the change to... Um, and I'll give a special mention to the Void Ray bomber Void Raven bomber, because that one was also very silly. With the change to strategic <laughs> reserves and planes and aircraft being required to start in them, you you now no longer get bombing runs until turn three at the, the earliest. earliest. Right. And up. that presumes that you bring the plane on turn two and it survives. Which Correct. is very rare in as we're talking about it, a very lethal meta. Yeah. So they're usually now a fire and forget unit. Now. Mm-hmm. You can use them to keep your your opponent quite honest, because two sunshark bombers mm-hmm. dropping out of the sky, turn two nine inches away from you, is pretty scary.
1: It's it's still very scary. Like um, I think I, I foresee a day when when flyers come back, but it's got to be the right flyer now. Yeah, you can't take them for the bombs. It has they have to come down and have, have be like a gunship. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: exactly. And you and I were talking at at Notling about the nephilim. Shush!
1: <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't you
0: tell them, bro. <laughs> revealing your
3: secrets on your own show go for
1: it totally fine fine, mate Go. yeah Uh, because it is a perfect example of hey it's not that expensive so you do if you do only get one use out of it it's only you know it's comparable to another like unit for the amount of shots because it comes down with 18 heavy bolters essentially um and you get and because it's uh, one of the worst things about um, say the dark talent for Dark Angels is you drop it and you need to be within 18 inches for the Rift Cannon which is very controllable to a good opponent and 12 inches to get the most out of the Hurricanes so you are right in the jaws of death and if you don't get used well you suck and they did nothing plus it's got a bomb you want to use as well but the Nephilim can be dropped safely in your deployment zone 36 inches away fire and fire all its guns so I think it's a much more palatable choice but even then I still think it's a fringe option maybe to be pulled out at the right meta at the right time
0: Mm-hmm. No, I agree. And I think that that's one of the things that I mean, we're seeing it. Like, we're not seeing because I read every, I read most lists that are, that are in these GT plus events when I'm doing uh, my list collect, my data collection, and I'm not seeing very many flyers. Mm-hmm. And I think people have responded to the fact that, well, if I can't get an alpha or even a possible beta strike out of them, there's better things to spend my points on. Excellent. Even though I can put them into the strategic, I have to put them into the strategic reserves and I don't pay any CP for that. It's just a, eh. Yeah,
1: is 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 it worth it? Is it even worth it? Oh, I I I totally agree. Um, I I think it's a hard hard decision choice for people, uh, for sure. All right, um, jumping into our last topic before we close off this one, your tips, lads, for people to use, absorb, and get the most out of what you guys produce, what you guys do, the whole package, the whole stats check package. How do people engage with it? Get the most out of it?
2: Oh wow, um, I'll talk about it as like a sort of like newer player, not newer. I've been playing the game. 20 years but a, uh, <laughs> less less competitive player than my fellow co-hosts the uh, one just the data on the dashboard is really helpful if you're going to an RTT you typically know like your local crew who plays what what they're gonna bring um, you know what you've got access to being able to tap into the dashboard and just see like oh what should I expect to happen and what do I need to prepare for being really cognizant of with respect to faction matchups is really useful if you're just like hitting up your local uh, FLGS. The other end of it is that the content, um, especially some of the work that, we, that we're seeing, in like Enter the Matrix. If you're a top-end player or a player who's interested in teams or who wants to improve their individual game because they're, you know, you're going like three and two, four and one, and you feel like you're on the cusp. Um, a lot of the conversation about the game that happens during the flagship show Stat Trek um, and during Enter the Matrix, uh, where we've got Typhus, you know team Poland leader um really breaking things down uh, about team 40k play with the captains and coaches of every other country's team um uh, that stuff's really valuable and i think some of the most some of the most informative competitive content available right now so definitely check that out
1: yeah i love i, I do love enter the matrix as a um a bona fide a teams ho i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i love that stuff that stuff is really enthralling to me just hearing different international perspectives because like these are closely harbored secrets about how people run their wtc teams how people get their pairings figure out how to maneuver their way through the matchups and things of this ilk and it's just so fascinating to me i could listen to them talk about it for hours jeremy anything to add on the the tips to get the most out of stats check
0: so i'm going to shout out uh cliff and tim's new new show that we that we launched last week which was x and one uh so we we have all of this stats information. we have all of this um yeah. ways to inform your game and ways to to kind of get yourself prepared and to set realistic expectations. I think that's the biggest thing is mm-hmm. that being able to look at the meta dashboard and say, All right, I'm bringing custodes to an event, and I know that there's gonna be a lot of gun lines. I can expect to go two and three or three and two if I meet equal skilled players every round mm. mm-hmm. if i'm higher skill than them. I know I can do better than that, but that's like setting a realistic expectation. Right. And Cliff and and Tim, two of the, the guys on our network, just recently started up a show called X and One, which its entire premise is on not just managing expectations, but also coming to terms with what you can realistically achieve within the constraints that you have. So for them, they're both dads, they're both pretty busy. Um, what can they What can they spend time on? What can they focus on? And what gets them the biggest return from that investment?
1: Yeah, it's it's a beautiful initiative because I feel like there is a absolute cohort out there um, who do struggle with these things, who mm. feel like they have a lot of competitive potential, but not the time. Dedicated, because it. I mean, you you could be literally. There are probably players out there who are as good as like John Lennon, Nick Nadavati's, uh, you know, Richard Siegler's, but literally don't have the full time mm-hmm. ability the, the ability to put in full time freaking hours, yeah. which is what you need to do to be that level of forty k. Because if you yeah. was, if I have just let's say me and Jeremy are both you know as good as you know uh, Richard Siegler, but I don't have a freaking day job and I'm I able to do forty k twenty four seven, I'm just gonna do better than Jeremy. Who has yep. a day job and maybe a family, you know, a wife and kids? It's yep. just a fundamental fact. So I think it's really, really good initiative by you guys to to reach out to that cohort and give some tailored content just for them. Um, anything else you'd like to mention or spook about Stats Check before we sign off?
2: Um, shout out to Goonhammer. We're partnering with them. Um, they, they're they like they're dope. You know, Topps over there, <laughs> Godfather the 40k Stats Game. Yeah, man. Uh, Really killing it and we're excited about the, some of the data sharing that we're going to be able to do and like get even more interesting stuff out there some of the secondary data we were talking about some of the go first data that we were talking about hmm. trying to marry that to what we've gotten and make things even more useful to players before they hit the tables
1: well uh, it's exactly right if you like between the two of you it's almost you, you get into the true holistic level of stats, which is I believe what we
0: all want 100 percent.
1: All right, lads, on that note, we will tune this one out. We'll jump over and answer a bunch of listener questions over in part two. Talk some crap. I know you're both very like, lovely guys, but for the cold open, I'm going to ask you to talk some shit. (laughs) (laughs) I live for this. I
2: live for this. You're
1: going to call someone out. I don't know who it is. You're going to talk some smack about someone else. (laughs) Could be from StatsCheck, could be from anything, could be me. Let's find out. Come over and join us, guys, and please support StatsCheck in all that they do. StatsCheck over on Patreon. Hey, I'm a Patreon. I dragged my feet on it, but I'm in. I'm in, baby. Can't get rid of me now.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we appreciate the support, Adam. Yeah, you
1: can be too. You should be too. And you also should be part of mine as well. That's it. I'll, I'll leave it there. Have a great night, boys. See you on the other side. Cheers.
2: Thank you for listening to Art of War Down Under, a content review podcast for Warhammer 40K